Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Joining me on the Think Humanities podcast today are uh, two folks from uh, Appalachia, and we're going to talk to them. Uh, founded in 1969, uh, Apple Shop in Kentucky and across uh, the world has often been said to be the, uh, the voice and the vision uh, of the people of Appalachia and rural communities, not only in Kentucky, but uh, across America and abroad, demonstrating the power of arts and culture to create meaningful social and economic change, which is on your website, taken directly from your website. I want to introduce everyone to Alexander or Alex Gibson, who is the executive director, and Alexandra Werner Winslow, who is the communications director for Apple Shops. So welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. So this is a big, uh, a big year for you uh, in so many respects, but just as uh, a matter of, of background uh, of your interest in, um, in Kentucky and in Apple Shop and all the work that you've done, uh, the time that you've been there, the history that you know of, uh, the people that uh, you have followed that have paved the way uh, in the mountains, uh, Alex, let me just ask you first, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me about uh, Apple Shop. Well, uh, Bill, I was I was born uh, by a river in a little tent. Um, well, I was born in Cincinnati and um, Ohio, but really quickly uh, I moved to eastern Kentucky because of some divorce. And uh, so from probably... I think I was five. I grew up on a uh, tobacco farm in Jackson County in the uh, town, I suppose you can call it, of Peoples, <laughs> which consisted, as far as I know, of my family and nobody else. Um, and uh, that's how I grew up. <clears throat> and uh, um, and it was uh, it, it was a it was a it was a good time. Uh, <laughs> had by all <laughs> but it had its it had its struggles and so part of my exposure to apple shop was um you know is it really kind of examining the region adding some nuance uh which i really needed i you know it was a um i'm a mixed race person and growing up in the area that that i grew up in i'm black and white um you know some of that nuance was lost on my uh on my young classmates <laughs> you were uh, educated uh, at Berea, but then went on and uh, hold uh, a number of degrees, uh, including a law degree uh, from uh, the University of Pennsylvania. Um, tell me how what you did before you came to Apple Shop prepared for what you've been doing for the last five years. Well, a bunch of different things. Um, I I was doing a lot of work in Eastern Kentucky and, and West Virginia and in, in communities in a development way throughout college. I had a I had a position that was uh, community development, economic development oriented while at Berea. Every student at Berea has to have a job. And that was my job was to go out into development projects in West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky. 
And so those were community development projects. Um, and the program was called the Bonner Scholars Program for mm -hmm. College. Uh, I've also been an, uh, you know, an aspiring uh, uh, artist without anybody wanting to pay for his work for a long time. <laughs> Um, but I've, I've dabbled in all different types of arts. I, uh, I play some music badly. I write poetry. I've done theater th all throughout college, um, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, made a couple films, actually. And Apple Shop taught me how to make films. Uh, one of the founders was teaching a summer program at Berea College. His name's Jack Wright. And he, found, he was one of the founders of Apple Shop and was teaching a filmmaking class, which was basically our youth media education course called AMI, uh, Appalachian Media Institute here at Apple Shop. So I basically took that class while I was at Berea. Um, after that, as you mentioned, I went on to law school at Penn um, and um, I mainly focused on constitutional issues there, uh, but ended up going into uh, finance toward the end of my uh, law career. And that's what I ended up working in was litigation and then the financial aspects of litigation, emphasis on banking. And they call that consumer finance in the industry, industry speak. Um, but it's basically banking and insurance defense work at big, large law firms. And um, ended up going to law school with a guy named Evan Smith, whose mother, mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth Barrett, directed Stranger with a Camera, which was my favorite film. Mm -hmm. And uh, in... I should have I should have said to make the story a little bit more interesting that <laughs> that one of the things I was doing in that development work was I'd worked with Oxfam and and I got inter interested in inter interested in international development and uh, started going to southern parts of Mexico that were somewhat rambunctious uh, against the federal government uh, there and so when I would take groups there uh, they weren't necessarily always wanted and there was this very specific kind of purpose I needed them to go there for. And so I'd show every group stranger with a camera, which talks about outsiders sort of coming into insider territory and how to best do that. So I was a big fan of the film and used it in my own personal work um, for several years. And to be in law school with her son was somewhat of a, you know, I was kind of a fan, you know. Mm -hmm. And so as I continued to go and work and, and argued about whether or not I could have a life in Kentucky with Evan, you know, I, I wondered that race was still so much of an issue. Uh, he kept me, you know, kept trying to pull me back and said he needed a friend down here. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so he told his sister when they were looking for an executive director, Ada, who was uh, chair of the board at the time, uh, to contact me. And so I got a call and uh, it was just, you know, at the time I was applying to the Foreign Service because I was so unhappy with my big law firm job. Uh, I just didn't I didn't like the clients I had. I felt like I was wrong morally on every issue. <laughs> <laughs> always a good feeling <laughs> and you can only do that for so long if you feel that way um and i didn't care about being partner or whatever that didn't mean anything to me that doesn't get you up uh, early in the morning to go to work does it no not me no <clears throat> uh, you know i'm 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 a, I'm a different sort at heart uh and academics i guess really were just the cover that's what i knew i could do well you know i can perform in a classroom well or on a test so i just always defaulted to that but that's not really where my heart is and Alexandra, tell me a little bit about your background and uh, what brought you to Apple Shop. Well, I guess I am one of those outsiders that Alex is describing um, in the sense that I'm from Virginia. And when I grew up, my exposure to 
you know, Appalachia broadly was really because I went to this little hippie school that had property in West Virginia and would just take all the students out there twice a year and do school out there. Um, and so I think it really engendered a love of the region in me at a pretty young age. And so as soon as I graduated from college, my first my first job was as a teacher uh, here in Eastern Kentucky. It was the first time I'd really spent significant chunks of time in this region. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that first year, everybody told me uh, in David, Kentucky, in Floyd County, where I was teaching, that the boomerang effect would get me. And even if I left, I would always come back. And right, because I've, I've done exactly that. Um, so my first exposure to Apple Shop was when I was teaching high school and searching for materials for my students to see themselves. Um, and I just, you know, couldn't find them a lot of places, uh, but was particularly glad to see them being made by Kentuckians right here at home, because I think that really added to the impact that the materials had on my students. So if I ask both of you um, about um, your mission, and I don't want to make it so formal that um, anyone can go to your website and, and, and read about that. I was just uh, occasionally, I'm sure, um, Alex, you're asked, um, what you do or what the mission might be, or I was asked just this morning meeting with someone, and most of the time it's people that you're looking for support uh, or uh, they're uh, fans of yours uh, and the work you've been doing, or they don't know about you at all. So the question is inevitably, what is Kentucky Humanities? Or uh, I did have somebody ask me just the other day, uh, give me your mission statement in in a in a sentence or two. And so um, without being formal about it, something that you're um, uh, used to telling people, what is Apple Shop today or what's it been over the past 50 years? I think the core of Apple Shop is to try and provide nuance um, to a region that's not typically discussed with nuance. Mm -hmm. Uh, through Appalachian voices. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, the short thing we say is that we've been making art and media in the mountains since 1969 because we work in so many different fields with that art and media. But I agree with you that the, the mission of it is not just the kind of work we make, it's why. And, and the why is very much to complicate the narrative about Appalachia, to challenge the status quo and, you know, amplify voices that are not always amplified. It seems like to me that uh, through a number of, um, gosh, numerous articles and programs and films and books and responses to uh, books, um, I just heard over the weekend in South Appalachia was uh, doing yet another interview with J.D. Vance and uh, that Appalachia seems to be not only uh, in in the states uh, that are uh, covered in Appalachia or even in Eastern Kentucky, but it, it goes beyond that, uh, really being studied and scrutinized and praised or criticized. Uh, is this uh, Appalachia's uh, moment? And, and how do you take either advantage of that or do you go ahead and do your daily work and uh, let the media and all of the attention just kind of fall uh, along with that? Well, I think as is so often the case, the truth is in the middle <laughs> between those two options. Um, because it's true that in the wake of the 2016 election in particular, 
you know, the nation was really captivated with this part of the country and wanted to uh, put it in a very specific and highly political role, um, whether or not the, the actual polling numbers supported that. So I think to some extent, we know that the narrative that's being pushed right now is uh, a little bit irrelevant to the work that we do. Uh, it's certainly not entirely factually based, but I also think that we have consistently welcomed opportunities over the years, all 50 of them that we've been in existence now, to tell a more complicated story about Appalachia. Um, and, you know, people continue to be interested in a region that they don't understand terribly well. Uh, and so to the extent that we can elevate voices of people who are here, which I will, I will just add, many of whom uh, in our neck of the woods are quite young. We have really robust youth programming. And so to be able to give those young people a platform to tell their own stories of their own experiences here, I mean, we see that as a good thing for sure. There seems to also be um, a debate of sorts, but uh, at least conversation about whether or not Eastern Kentucky and, and Appalachia can continue to attract uh, younger people or people who can make a living without going to an urban setting or even moving out of state altogether. How do you in your film work and in your art address that? Well, we definitely think we're an answer to the question, what is there to do around here, right? We, we have events constantly and we have a lot of folks from the community in and out of the building. Um, I mean, almost every day, really. <laughs> so I think that's part of it. Yeah, we see we see ourselves as a community center of power, but there's also very <clears throat> many other options for young people who, um, you know, want to come to a state where there's you know more opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, overpopulation and high housing prices in urban centers right now, and that that's a function of supply and demand. And um, the inverse is true in many of our areas that there are opportunities and jobs and ideas and um, you know for me as a person of color you know if I'm speaking to other diverse people who may be listening if all the diverse people leave then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you know so you have to kind of be part of the the vision you want to see be the change you want to see in the world right yeah and actually I'll just add that last week I was talking to somebody who had never been out here to Whitesburg before they were coming from New York City and she commented that she felt like Whitesburg, the town that we're based in, um, she thought it was like a blend between Brooklyn and uh, and like New Hampshire, because that was her, <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, I, I can kind of see that yeah. it's, it's verdant, it's green. So I see the New Hampshire thing. And it also has a lot of Brooklyn energy because there are a lot of if I can just, you know, not be too sophisticated about it. There are really cool people here who are up to cool things all the time. Um, just kind of experimenting and taking risks and uh, making art, you know? And so I think we feel lucky to be in that climate and definitely see ourselves as, um, you know, responsible as good citizens to contributing to that environment too. I'm talking with uh, Alexandra Werner, Werner Winslow, the communications director for Apple Shop and the executive director, uh, Alex Gibson are joining me uh, from Whitesburg today where Apple Shop is uh, headquartered. Alex, you mentioned in the early part of our conversation, uh, being of mixed race, uh, that in Appalachia you you found it uh, when you uh, were growing up there to be quote somewhat of an issue. 
Has that changed uh, over the time that you were um, um, a teenager and now an adult and now uh, in a position uh, that you are at Apple Shop? I don't know that I could answer that uh, in an hour, uh, <laughs> Bill. Um, the, maybe the, there is a ton of nuance all here in, in answering that, but let me say the somewhat was said in jest. It was a hell of a problem. Uh, <laughs> up in that area yeah yeah uh, now i think from my outside observation i still don't think it'd be uh a peach um if i were growing up there now but i, I do imagine some things are better you know I, I during the time i grew up in in high school middle school it was still okay to fight you know and and as long as you didn't kick somebody when they were down so Getting in fights every day was a bit of a frustration that I imagine is not tolerated now, uh, just with changing times. But now there's social media bullying, so you know who knows. Um, I just I can't really speak to it, but I, I do think that now that I'm in a position of authority, yeah, people of course treat me different um, uh, in some ways. But uh, and I'm older too, so you know I'm not having to go to middle school and elementary school where everybody's mean to everybody about something. <laughs> sure. um, but I say, you know, when I see when I see when I'm if I'm on my bicycle and um, a pickup truck of sixteen-year-old uh, four sixteen-year-old young men are in it, um, I'd say sixty-five percent of the time they're going to yell something from the pickup truck. Mm. Yeah. Well, that actually our youth have made some really interesting films that I think do bring some of that experience into a region that often the only story you hear is about white people or about straight people or super conservative people. And a lot of the young filmmakers that we train uh, to make films have made films about what it's like to come out or what it's like to live with your grandparents, um, what it's like to get, you know, the talk from your grandma. Um, and, and one of them recently was sort of the reaction to the Black Lives Matter movement here locally in Eastern Kentucky. So it's it's really encouraging to me, I will say, just to see a little bit of that conversation happening all around me, driven by people who are a little closer to the elementary school, middle school, high school age that you're reminiscing about, Alex. Yeah, and, and Apple Shop has built a little bubble like Alexandra was talking about. I didn't grow up in this particular county. You know, I grew up in a place where there was no Apple Shop, and so there wasn't really a kind of artistic culture or, you know, um, um, diversity that this that the practice brings. Um, so it, I, I'm not shouted at from pickup trucks in uh, in Weinsburg, to be clear. Well, um, let me ask you about uh, this uh, momentous year, your 50th anniversary, which you're going to be celebrating uh, beginning. Uh, well, you've already you're already celebrating, but you're going to do something in this fall. Well, let me let me just ask you both. Uh, to talk a little bit about that, what it means, what's planned, uh, how people can get involved, um, how many visitors you'd like, um, and what you would like for them to observe and see during this 50th anniversary of Apple Shop. Well, everyone's welcome uh, all the time, <laughs> first off, so I don't think we have a target number of folks we're trying to bring in the door, but um, yeah, it's true in October that we'll sort of officially launch the 50th anniversary of Apple Shop, which was founded in the fall of 1969. Um, and so on October 5th, we're going to welcome back a ton of former Apple Shop staff and, and friends of the shop um, for a big celebration and, and kind of a reminisce back over uh, the years that they've been contributing to the incredible volume of work that we have here. 
And then we're really going to continue that 50th celebration into 2020 since 1970 was really our big kind of first year as an institution. Um, and that'll include, gosh, all kinds of things. We're going to release a lot of new work that we <laughs> can't talk about yet, but we're pretty excited. Mm -hmm. We'll be out in the world soon. Um, we have uh, we have events, we have uh, parties, frankly, that we're throwing. So it's going to be a good time for a couple of solid months there, yeah. <laughs> I think, in the in the beginning of 2020. We just unveiled the largest net metered renewable energy system in eastern Kentucky with our ribbon cutting of a solar pavilion on June 7th. Um, so we're really excited about that. And that's also part of our 50th push and mm -hmm. comes out of the legacy of Apple Shop, which has been heavily tied to um, energy production in America. And community development for and that community, matter. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, this pavilion, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Alex, because I don't think we've talked about it yet. And I was really surprised to hear that it is actually the largest in Eastern Kentucky. And that's in terms of how much energy it's producing um, because it's, you know, it's 192 panels on the roof of one sort of pavilion, like Alex described, and then it's another 42 panels on the roof of our building across the street. And so to me, especially as, um, you know, a, a Virginian who hasn't grown up here in Eastern Kentucky, I just, I think it's a really groundbreaking example of what's possible here um, in a region that people still associate with coal and, and, you know, in a region that's so vulnerable to rising energy costs. I think it's really exciting to just have this like physical uh, embodiment of what's possible here. Has it been operating long enough uh, that you 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 really know how it is going to affect um, uh, rates uh, in in Whitesburg or in the county? Uh, do you know that? Do you have that much evidence yet? We do. We have. I mean, we haven't seen any other month except through through June 7th, like I said, but we had it operational June 7th mm -hmm. and started started receiving energy by the time the ribbon cutting happened. Yeah. And um, we have a daily counter. We can see it every day. I, I, I'm, I'm off and Alexander may remember the exact dollar I'm off on this, but it was something like $250 for the first week, something like that. Mm -hmm. And because of course the winter is really different than the summer, we expect that the panels will produce about of our monthly energy usage, but some months it's over 100%, and we believe that that's where we came out this last month, was was a full 100% of what we use in terms of energy in the building, we also produced. Right. Um, so that's at least a, a net zero <laughs> for our energy bill, and possibly even in the, in the negatives, meaning that we have a credit now with the energy company. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I think I, I think I'm pretty sure the value credit is at around two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, yeah. That that is a good response to the question, and I think uh, just happened today. And your um, can can you can listen to this too and check me on my my facts. And I wouldn't want to misquote anybody. Certainly not misquote the the governor of Kentucky. But he was in an interview with uh, a reporter for uh, WEKU that I just heard uh, for the first time today. And the question from her was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing now, was uh, something about uh, coal and, and energy rates. And uh, the question was directly, uh, do you see a way forward for other alternative means of, of energy? And his response, uh, some might think would be typical of someone who, only looks at uh, coal as the uh, the only source of energy for Kentucky because 
the response was starting with we've got the lowest electric rates um, in the United States or in the southeastern part of the United States. And as soon as somebody can prove to me that solar or wind uh, can produce uh, better electricity uh, rates than uh, what we're getting with coal, then that's when the conversion will start. How would you respond to that? And what are you trying to do there with your um, uh, more than just a, a, an experiment? You're actually putting uh, solar to work for you in in uh, the county and, and in your town. Well, um, as a as a I'll remind uh, the audience, Bill, that, um, you know, we I'm not directly to the governor. Um, I don't really have a response. It's it's not really the role I think we have other than to say you know I, I I think we're very satisfied with the results from our solar system and since since the beginning of Apple Shop's history you know we've had the economic uh, question related to energy production mm -hmm. we have um, uh, over a hundred films and I'd say you know 30 of those films uh, directly or indirectly discuss this question and solar's been viable economically for quite a while I think <clears throat> some of the costs associated with the initial uh, implementation of a solar panel, let's say on your house, um, have been prohibitive for uh, low-end consumers until now and maybe still just slightly above uh, a price point of a comfortable purchase uh, for someone. But I think a lot of that's changing mm -hmm. in addition and will change it within a year, um, not within years. Um, in terms of bringing this cost down, and they are at this stage, you know, available for people's homes. They're much more popular. I just got back from visiting some partners in Wales in in the Welsh region, which is also a coal mining region. You'll see many house, houses with solar panels, and it's also a working class part of the UK. And the final thing I wanted to say uh, that's probably more, more clearly than any of the rest that I've said is that a lot of the incentives... Um, we talked about producing energy and then getting energy credits. Well, that that's called a net metered uh, system. And uh, I'd say about a week after we finalized our deal to put in the energy system, Kentucky passed a decrease in the amount of money you would get back from a net metered system. Mm -hmm. So the state has chosen to make a legislative choice that decrease the amount of revenue you can generate from credits back to the state. Um, in order, I imagine, to de-incentivize that practice. So, you know, it, it, it is still economically viable, but that's notwithstanding spite of uh, legislative action taken by the state. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. And the only thing that I would add to that is that I think in this moment of moving on from coal, however it's happening, wherever it's happening, we see our role as taking risks in order to create a culture that's comfortable with risk and with experimentation. Um, I think we've done that because we're not the only solar project here in Letcher County. We're actually part of a network of community groups who are creating economic and cultural opportunity with solar projects. Uh, includes homes and, and a place called Hemphill Community Center and Kings Creek Volunteer Fire Department who are all in the process of installing their own metered solar projects. So, you know, we're really, we're past the moment talking about it as a theoretical possibility because it's already here. Well, I uh, applaud you for that. Um, I think that uh, the best way to um, to sort of prove that is is what you're doing, whether 
it's um, proving your point to Republicans, Democrats, uh, independents, libertarians. It doesn't really make a difference, and it doesn't have to be political. But you're you're on the ground with a demonstration that um, if anyone has doubts that it can't be done, they just need to uh, to take a beautiful trip um, to Appalachia and to Eastern Kentucky to the places that you pointed out. Uh, they'll see some of those um, on the Mountain Parkway at one of the uh, the energy companies, um, and and to travel. Uh, uh, to your home, and um, I, I'm sure there'll be somebody there that would be glad to explain. You know, it should be a um, it should be something that all Kentuckians, as well as all citizens of um, of this uh, world, uh, should be concerned about and talking about. And and you're doing it, so uh, uh, applause to you on that front. <laughs> okay. I also see Alexandra that you put in your. Uh, your news release uh, for your um, system, um, the largest renewable energy system in Eastern Kentucky, which we talked about. But uh, a lot of people are familiar with the Seed Time on the Cumberland and the festival that you've had for many years. And and apparently, um, although I'm anxious to see it, um, you've provided a, a new, what, is it a, a new stage or a permanent stage for the location of Seed Time? Yeah, that's actually exactly what we're describing. This big solar pavilion, which is as an uh, and it's got a really unique design because we wanted the roof to be visible from the ground so that people could see the solar panels. Right. So often it's like they're up there, but it's we just know that to be true. We can't see them, and we wanted folks to be able to really experience what it means to be a solar pavilion. Um, so. It's out there in part of what used to be our parking lot. And, um, you know, it's not just seat time. It's actually been the host for the Levitt Amp Whitesburg concert series that happens here every summer. Um, we've we've hosted their performers a couple of times so far this year. So we're really excited about the potential um, for the building as another performance space and not just um, for the seat, the seat time festival that happens every June. So as we wrap up uh, the podcast uh, this uh, day, uh, to both of you, once again, if people are uh, traveling, um, if they uh, want to be intentional about coming down to, uh, to see you and what's going on in the mountains, give us just a, um, one final reason why you think uh, not only Apple Shop, but Appalachia, Eastern Kentucky, uh, is important and why more people in Kentucky uh, should be um, interested, should um, take the time uh, to learn about Apple Shop. Uh, what would you want them to know if they do come and visit? Well, uh, you know, I think coal miners, uh, fast food workers, truck drivers, musicians, uh, teachers, artists, I think they continue to create compelling solutions for a better way of life for their families and their communities and their country. Um, Apple Shop's been doing that for a long time. Um, and I hope that you come down and take a look and see what communities like when uh, they come together and, and, and uh, try to present <clears throat> the future that they, to try to build the present the future they want to see. Yeah, I because I think at a time of really sort of seemingly deep uh, divisions in our country, right, something that a lot of people are concerned about, um, I think it is productive to really 
examine how, um, how close we really all are to each other. And the fact that in this region, uh, there are a lot of different types of people doing a lot of different types of work. And it's not just one thing. And that's true all over the country. But we're a really compelling illustration of what it looks like to do community development work in partnership with the community over the long term because we've been doing it for 50 years and we're going to be here doing it for another 50 years. So um, I certainly think it's an exciting place to visit, but I also think that if you don't want to make the trek out in person, uh, one of the good things about being an art and media organization is that we can sort of come to people uh, wherever they are around the world, really, with our, our films and our media. So um, people can learn about Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky just by looking at the art we've put out uh, into the world about it for the last 50 years. Well, that's a, um, a great uh, way to end, uh, Alexandra. Uh, Alex, did you want to add something? No, I was just, it, it just reminded me that one of the th one of the little facts that we say, and, and it's true from our archive, is that we've produced the world's largest single body of creative work about Appalachia. Mm. Come to see that. Yeah. Well, um, I would uh, not deter anyone from uh, looking online, uh, watching your films, uh, reading about your work. But I would also uh, highly um, recommend a, a trip to Appalachia. I, honestly, and I know you do uh, also run into people, as I do, that that have never been to eastern Kentucky or at least uh, not spend any time there. And it's uh, beautiful and a, and a place to uh, celebrate and for all of us to be proud of. And uh, we um, will celebrate along with you uh, this year and next and uh, hope to see you soon. Um, I'm anxious to see the, the new project and to stop by for a visit. Yeah, come on out, we'll be glad to have you. I've been talking to Alex Gibson, the executive director of uh, Apple Shop in Whitesburg and the new uh, communications director, Alexandra Werner Winslow. And we appreciate uh, both of them joining us on Think Humanities. Thanks again, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky's stories for 46 years. The podcast was produced and edited by Morgan Lowe. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.